0: Welcome to Letters to Women, a podcast where we embrace and explore what it means to live out the feminine genius in our everyday lives as women. My name is Chloe Langer, and today I'm having a conversation about seasons of suffering, facing the unexpected, and trusting that God is working even when the exact opposite seems true. In today's episode, I'm sitting down with Ashley Stevens, and she's sharing the story of a car accident that happened back in 2008. And the ways that that accident impacted her plans and her dreams and how that season that the Lord invited her into back then is still impacting her now as a wife and as a mom. If you're in a hard place or a season of suffering right now, and you're believing the lies that tell you that this season will never end, that you are the only one who doesn't have it together, and that no one would want to accompany you during the struggle, sister, this letter is for you. This episode of Letters to Women is sponsored by House of Joppa. If you're looking to freshen up your home this spring and summer and intentionally include decor that helps you to evangelize to the beauty, truth, and goodness of Catholicism, then you need to browse through the gorgeous work that House of Joppa does. From statues and artwork to coffee table rosaries, they are reimagining Catholic home decor with a simple modern take that plays beautifully with the home that you are in. Letters to Women listeners get 15% off their order at checkout with the code LETTERS15. That's one word, all caps, LETTERS15. Check out the link to House of Joppa in the show notes or visit their website houseofjoppa.com. That's houseofjoppa.com. Okay, let's dive into this conversation with Ashley. Today, I am welcoming Ashley Stevens to the podcast. Ashley is a graduate of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, where she played soccer, and she worked as an RA and joined the church. After graduation, she worked as a Fellowship of Catholic University Students, or Focus Missionary, at Benedictine College and UNL, inviting and equipping college students to grow in and share their faith. Three weeks after getting engaged while driving to a Focus retreat, she was T-boned by a Mack truck, and she nearly lost her life. And following a year of intensive care units and therapy, Ashley and her fiancé got married on the year. Anniversary of the accident to redeem the day, and since then she's gotten her MBA from UNL. She started her family. She currently writes and speaks for the Mountains Unmoved Ministry. She lives with her husband Brad and their children in Lincoln. Ashley, welcome to Letters to Women. What an honor it is to sit down and get to know your story. Thanks for having me, Chloe. I'm so excited to be here and. Uh to share more about what I've learned through my suffering and how we can all choose
1: to see him in ours.
0: So we're going to be talking today about different seasons of suffering, about trusting God when it seems like he's not working, and about letting go of the lies of perfection. But to kick off the conversation, Ashley, can you tell me about your story as a Catholic woman?
1: Sure. So I was born to a loving family right outside Philadelphia raised going to a Methodist church every Sunday for church and for Sunday school. And I came to believe, um, that God made me and know him in a big stories in the Bible kind of way, uh, the Noah, the Moses, all of that. And I was baptized when I was seven in the Methodist church, um, because I think I saw it as the next step in becoming a Christian, uh, we moved to Tennessee shortly after and down there, my faith really became my own. The Bible Belt came alive as I learned how deeply God loves me and the extent of what He did for me on the cross. And down there, I really gave my my life and my heart to Him. And then I came up to University of Nebraska for college uh, to play soccer. And up here, I worked as an RA, um, as you mentioned. And one of the RAs I worked with was an on fire Catholic, and he lived out his faith and. A friendship developed between us to where when we were on duty nights and we walked throughout the dorm, I began to ask him questions like, why do you believe in purgatory? Why do you worship saints? And so on, um, to try to honestly convert him to my Protestant faith. But in those discussions, I was surprised that his answers made sense, that he used scripture to defend them. And going off that year, I studied abroad in Italy, and over there I walked on the history of the church. I walked through St. Peter's, and um, the only church I could go to over there was Catholic Church. And I came back my senior year um, really wanting to offer that year to pray on whether God was calling me to join the church or not. So I got an RCIA, um, but I was also still leading a Protestant Bible study. I got in a focused Bible study, um, and I kind of sifted through both to find the truth. And that year, I really, what sealed the deal for the Catholic Church is when I learned about the Eucharist. And when I really, truly came to know and believe um, that Jesus Christ was present in the Eucharist, um, I needed to be more fully united to him. So that's why I joined the church my senior year um, and also joined staff with Focus, as you mentioned, because they had had such a powerful impact on me uh, becoming Catholic that year.
0: Well, and then you served at Benedictine, which is right down the street from me in Atchison, Kansas, and I'm up in Kansas City. And so it's just beautiful to kind of fit this story within a, a place that I know and a college that I have walked before.
1: Yeah, no, I love Benedictine. It was quite the change for me, I guess, coming from my Protestant upbringing to a Catholic campus where I'm teaching about the Catholic faith as I'm learning about it, honestly. But it was such a great community down there and great campus to serve at.
0: Throughout your time as a Focus missionary, you experience this car accident, which I I would love to hear more about what that was like for you. And you go through this season of intense suffering. I'd love to know more about that season From your point of view, from your life, but then also for listeners who are going through seasons of suffering, the advice that you would give them when it comes to trusting God and being confident that He's there, that He's working, especially when it seems like the total opposite is happening.
1: Yeah, it's so much easier to trust God when life is good, isn't it? Yeah, trusting Him amidst the suffering doesn't come easily, I think, for most of us. But for us, I came back my second year on Focus, I came back to UNL because that same Catholic RA I worked with, uh, we began dating long distance um, when I was down in Benedictine. So I came back to UNL because he was working up here. So we could date in the same town and really discern if we were called to the next step. And shortly after I came back, we got engaged and we just entered into that giddy wedding planning stage. We had the the bridal party asked, we had the church reserves, and we were looking forward to going home over our Christmas break and wedding dress shopping and all that. Um, but just three weeks after we were engaged, he got a call um, from the same friend that had hosted our engagement party. And she told him, myself and the four other women missionaries had been in a serious car accident. She said, get to the hospital as fast as you can and have someone else drive you. Um, and that's all the information he had. And along the way on the drive, he prayed and um, really was scared in the uncertainty of what he would arrive to. Uh, but when he arrived, a nurse pulled him inside and he said, Ashley had a serious head trauma. Her brain pressure is spiking dangerously high. And if it crosses a certain point, she'll be brain dead. And he lost it he lost it because he wasn't expecting um, along that drive to, eat, to possibly lose the woman he loved. Um, so for us, that was pretty great trial and period of suffering. And I think in those moments, um, for me, what, what gave me hope the most is a verse. And the verse is Exodus fourteen fourteen, and it's the Lord himself will fight for you You need only be still. And I had written this verse down on cardstock with a a young adult Bible study I was in just a month before. And it spoke to me because in that verse, the Israelites were walking across Egypt. Um, And that verse was Moses trying to pacify them. They saw the Egyptians approaching and they got scared and they got anxious and they doubted this God that God would continue to protect them. Um, But it spoke to me because God had protected them from the plagues back in in Egypt, from livestock and boils and hail. He had freed them from 400 years of slavery. And as they walked across Egypt, he had provided for them from bread from heaven, water from a rock. Um, But despite all of that, amidst their fear, they doubted him. And we all do the same thing. Um, Maybe, you know, we forget the moment that he showed his power in our life or guides us in a clear way or answers a prayer. And for me, as I sat in that hospital room, um, this verse, the Lord himself will fight for you. You need only be still. It hung above my wall. And every time I looked at it, I tried to remember. I tried to remember how much God had fought for me in the past how much he had fought for my heart in high school, my soul in baptism, my recovery enough that I was still alive in there. And to me, when we're in our periods of suffering, remembering those things, remembering how he has fought for, provided for, loved us in the past, is the
0: best way to give us hope and trust that he is fighting for us and that he will. I'm reading, I'm listening to the Bible in, in a year with Father Mike Schmitz, and but that was the verse that was in yesterday night's reading. And so it's just beautiful to have a chance to reflect on that again with you um, and to see how that wow. played such a big role in, in your recovery.
1: Yeah, that I mean, that verse, like the power verse that everyone hangs on their wall. But I think for me, it's just, it's hanging on my wall and looking at right now. And it's that constant reminder, even in the little battles, like fights with kids and, you know, uh the fact that it's cold outside, whatever the little battle
0: is, is just a reminder like God's been with me. He's got my back and he does now. So as you recovered from this accident, you had to press pause on a lot of dreams like planning a wedding or studying. And that's, I'm sure, just scratching the surface of, of big dreams and little dreams. You have this beautiful blog post that I'm going to share in the show notes. And in it, you write and share reasons why it's okay to pause your dream. I love this one particular piece of advice that you give, and you say the pause dream may not be the right dream. What advice would you give to that process of discerning whether a dream that's on pause is a dream that should be pursued or something that you have to pivot from?
1: Yeah, this is hard, and I think, you know, if this past year has taught us all anything, is that many of our lives and dreams have been put on hold. Um, for us, the hardest pause was the day we were supposed to be getting married, May 16th, and didn't. And on that day, I just really struggled. I think the trust that, or to, to remember that trusting God means trusting his timing. And I think if you're in a situation where your dream is on hold, I think one of the most important things is stop telling yourself wise about that. Stop telling yourself, I can't ever finish anything. I'm not smart or skilled or good enough or everyone's judging me, it's taking so long. Um, Stop comparing where your dream's at with where everyone else is. I think many of us do that as well. And I think for me, one of the most important uh, approaches is to walk away to carve out time for silence and for prayer and to really ask yourself why why am i pursuing this dream um father is this the right dream will you open the doors if it is will you close the doors if it's not and i think also is it the right chapter um you know if you have lots of little kids maybe it's not the right chapter to you know, volunteer on some big committee, um, whatever, whatever it is. Just asking yourself why you're pursuing it and if it's the right chapter, and really just giving God the opportunity um, to answer those those questions, I think has been one of the best approaches for me.
0: That's such a prayer of surrender, to, Lord. This desire is on my heart. Will you open the door if that's where you're calling me to be? But then, if that's not where you want me, can you shut the door? There's just been plenty of my time at times in my life where I have prayed that the Lord just just slam the door in my face, Lord. I need it to be very obvious, not like a quiet shutting. But I think that ta- that's a prayer that takes so much trust to know that if He does shut the door, that doesn't mean that the desire that you have isn't going to be fulfilled in another way, or that He doesn't see and know your heart too. Right, right,
1: and and it's hard because we we can't
0: audibly hear that from Him,
1: right, but. I think if, if the desire is initially there, I guess as long as it's a good and holy desire, um, even if it's not the right timing, like you said, doesn't mean that it won't come to be. Um, like for myself, I, I planned to get my MBA, uh, take my GMAT the mo- a month after the accident. And after our wedding, I really prayed, like, God, the desire is still there. And I really felt, take the test. And I got it. Uh, accepted into UNL to get my MBA um, because the desire was still there and we didn't have kids yet it was the right timing Um, but I think just trusting just continually reassessing I think each year um, if the desire is still there and if it's the right time is one of the best ways to really follow his will for
0: your life you and Brad got married not in May But instead in December and on December 12th, which was one year exactly after you were T-boned by a truck and you write about perfection and you have this beautiful line where you say, I'm proud I didn't wait until my hair was longer or my facial nerves were more recovered. I'm proud because when I show our girls pictures from our wedding day, I remind them that you don't have to wait until you're perfect to show up. How has your experience with this accident and with your recovery afterward helped you to tackle the temptation to perfectionism in your life today, you you know, years after?
1: It's still a work in progress is the honest
0: answer. (laughs)
1: Um, But it is for all of us, right? Because, you know, we change and our bodies change as we grow older. Um, But for myself, when I was uh, in the hospital, I was at the age of 22, stripped of my independence. I wasn't able to use the bathroom by myself, walk by myself, eat, drive. And I think going through that, um, I learned two things. I think the first is it's okay to ask for help. Um, We're not expected to have all the answers, (laughs) to know how to do everything by yourself um and the second is how important it is uh to be grateful for what you do have um when when you're suffering um so for an example for me like one of my ears is death um but i think just being thankful thank you jesus i still have one working ear thank you god i was able to recover i think that's a, a big thing um when that my recovery is kind of smacking me in the face, just a, a reminder of the gratitude for what is. Um, and on that day, we did get married. It wasn't May, like you said, but it was the one year anniversary of the accident. And I think um, my hair wasn't long, my facial nerves weren't recovered. But as I walked down the aisle through the countless people that had prayed with us and lifted us up and brought us meals um as i walked towards the man who had said i do um in in sickness and in health before we lived the vows i think it was a good reminder um to lay down the perfectionism like you said and really just live what god has put at your feet and i try to do this with my girls as well. I try, we have three healthy girls. They're nine, seven and four that we didn't know we'd be able to have. And I think, um, by letting them into my weaknesses. Um, for example, one of my daughters does dance and she's always the last to go out to the tap shoe when they change shoes because I have to tie her shoe and it takes me longer than other moms. And I think just letting her see it and talking to her, it makes me sad um, that I'm not able to tie my shoes as fast, but I'm so glad to be here for you. I think just letting them into my weaknesses has been, um, hopefully I pray a good example for them that we don't have to have everything together to show up. And I try to encourage them to do this by, by trying new things, new sports, and cheering them on like crazy from the sidelines as they do. Um, But I think it's a good continual reminder for me um, as I have to reposition because I can't hear or I have to take longer to fill out permission slips in the lobby, Um, it's a good reminder. Like I said, number one, it's okay to ask for help. And number two, to really be grateful for what we do have. as we lay down the perfectionist standards we all tend to set for ourselves.
0: I think it's beautiful too letting your girls enter, enter into that reality with you and not trying to hide it or yeah, shoving it under the rug or pretending that it doesn't exist but instead letting them see your experience as a woman and the way that the Lord has worked in your life and shaped your story and letting them enter into that is such an incredible witness, I think, to look at you as their mom and see you striving to reject this idea that you have to have it all together and that you have to be perfect. What, what an encouragement that would be, especially as they're getting ready to enter into teenage years and, and high school and things like that. To have that example is just incredible.
1: Right. Just the example, like there's always tomorrow, you know, like even on on our most frustrating days for them maybe it's getting made fun of at recess or for me it was just being stripped of my independence like I said even on our most frustrating days there's always tomorrow Uh, God always makes the sun go up on tomorrow and gives us a chance to get back up again and I think if I want to teach my girls anything that's the message you know um, that guy can always redeem what we've lost. He can always use our struggles for good, but we have to let him, we have to let him and get back up again after we fall.
0: Yeah. I think that speaks really beautifully into the temptation that we have, maybe particularly as women to buy into this lie that I, if I want this to look like what I have in mind or what I have and this desire that I have, that I have to take it I have to take it, I have to control it, and I have to make it happen, regardless of what that looks like, right? We see that through scripture, we see a lot of women struggling with God's plans not looking like what they thought he was promising. And so there's a this temptation to manipulate it and to make it look like what you want it. But instead, just to be totally open in in this position of receptivity and surrender, that's a good lesson for, I think all of us, whether we're four or 24 or 94. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I One that I know I need to be reminded of on the regular. Right.
1: And I think also, like, in what you just mentioned, like, when life doesn't go uh, perfectly according to our plan, like, we learn so much along the way. Like, even if it's a different route to get to there, where, whatever there is, we learn things. Like, for instance, I wanted to write a book, um, but the publisher said I needed a blog instead. So I've been blogging and sharing my story in a different form than the book, but that's allowed me to get to know so many beautiful women and to be on podcasts and write and to grow in different ways. And I think the same premise applies to our lives. You know, maybe it feels like a door has been slammed in our face, but the the doors that God is opening can teach us so many things that we wouldn't have learned if we would have went, you know, A, B, C, that we were planning on going.
0: I love how you shared this experience of walking up the aisle in your wedding and being surrounded by friends who had accompanied you in this season of suffering. And oh man, I love that you blog this because there's a picture of you at your wedding day and it's just, the, the joy is just radiating and it's absolutely beautiful, which I think is such a testament to the beauty of community because suffering can be this incredibly isolating experience. And for women who are listening, maybe, maybe they're not in a season of suffering themselves at the moment, but maybe they know a woman who is suffering and they want to know how to accompany her well. What were some helpful ways that friends journeyed alongside you in your own journey? And what advice would you give to a woman when it comes to loving others around her during their seasons of suffering?
1: Briefly, two things. Show up and be normal. And to flesh that out, like, so many things get in the way of showing up, like, I don't know what to say, Uh, it'll be awkward, I'm scared of seeing them in suffering, so many things get in the way, but I can tell you firsthand, the friends that showed up anyways, the ones that ignored that I had a neck brace, that my eye was crooked, that my head was shaved, that they just showed up anyways, to paint my nails, to talk to me about their new job, to be normal. Oh my gosh, Chloe, like to say it was a gift would be a huge understatement because the they were the cloud of witnesses. Like they held me up. They reminded me, they, my fiance, my family, They reminded me what I was fighting to get back to. But they only did that because they showed up. They embraced the awkward, the fear, the I don't know what to say, and they showed up. Um, Job, in Scripture, is a great example. Um, When he was stripped of everything he knew, his friends came to him, and it says, Job 2.13, it says, And they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights and no one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. And I think to me, this is such a great reminder. You don't need to know what to say. You don't need to have the perfect gift to share. Like it really is just the gift of being present and being normal, doing what you did before with that person. Um, So for instance, my, My fiancé and my brother and my parents were going to go to the Gator Bowl, um, where Nebraska, our team, played my brother's team, Clemson. Um, But that was right after the accident, so we weren't able to go. Um, So on that day, we watched it from my hospital room, and my fiancé, he showed up with his Nebraska corn cob hat on. And he sat beside me and held my hand and cheered like a wild maniac as Nebraska beat Pete Clemson, which is now is an incredibly big deal. Um, but he was normal. He was normal in wearing his red blazer and his corncob hat. And it's that gift of normalcy, of doing the things that you would have done before, um, that when you're in suffering, it's such, such a needed reminder that life
0: will go on. That's so practical. Yeah, it gives the person who's in that season of suffering something to anchor to. Like, this is normal that, right. that it's still here, mm-hmm. especially in relationships and friendships. But yeah, it does take that courage of just showing up and then not knowing and being okay. And again, surrendering. Like, I don't know what to say here. I can't fix it, which I think is really challenging, too. But here I am, and I'm going to be here.
1: Right. There. I mean, it's just, it's Satan. When you feel that lie
0: of, oh,
1: I don't have anything, I don't have a gift, I don't know what to say, it'll be weird, like that is Satan. And I think when we recognize that, we say, like, no, like my gift is my presence, like, gosh, God can use that so beautifully. Um, and Voskamp has a quote I love and say often it says, You are where you are to help others where they are. And that. <laughs> that, to me, just emphasizes that point. Like, be there. You That is your friend, or that is your parents, or that is your sibling, whoever it is. You have a relationship with them, and you are where you are the person to show up and be present to them.
0: Ashley, I know we're just starting in on a lot of the beauty that you share it's, from such a place of holy an authentic, healthy vulnerability on your blog and on social media. For listeners who would love to continue to get to know you and to continue to dive into what you share about your, your accident and, and life today as a Catholic woman, where can people connect with you online?
1: Sure. So my website is mountainsunmoved.com, and that's where you go to follow my blog or have me come speak to your group. Um, and then you can find me on Facebook and Instagram
0: at Mountains Unmoved. You know, the question that I ask every woman who comes on uh, the podcast is this last one, the one that we'll close out our conversation with. And it's this, how do you live out the feminine genius in your daily life, especially as a woman sharing her story of suffering and healing and trust in God no matter what? This is uh, funny, I think, for me to answer because I'm very much a tomboy. Um,
1: Grew up playing sports, and I think for me, living my feminine genius means recognizing that my version of femininity looks different um, from someone who um, is able to do French braids good or has a perfectly decorated home. Like, that's not my version. And I think recognizing that that's okay. Um, That if my version is coaching my girls' soccer team and basketball team and letting my neighbors do their hair for the dance recital, that that's okay. Um, that God has crafted us, our personalities, our stories, our suffering so uniquely different, differently. And I think one of the best ways to live our feminine genius is to genuinely be the woman that God made you to be rather than trying to replicate another
0: version um, of that. Ashley, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. Thank you for sharing your story, your story of suffering, and for just your fantastic advice for how we can suffer well in our own lives and accompany those who are suffering. It has been just a joy to sit down and share the morning with you. So thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It was great Um, So, get to know you better, but also hopefully to
1: encourage anyone at a hard spot or standing with someone at a hard spot right now.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Letters to Women. Head over to letters to womenpodcast.com and check out this week's show notes. Or if you're listening in your podcast player, just scroll down to browse through links to find Ashley's website, the blog posts that we mentioned in this episode together, and all the resources that we talked about. Hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single new episode. And if you are an Apple user, I would love for you to leave Letters to Women a quick review to let me know how I'm doing and to share with other Catholic women why you enjoy listening to the Letters to Women podcast. You can follow along with the podcast and get all the behind the scenes shots over on Instagram at letters to women underscore podcast. And don't forget that the new letters to women book is out and available in letters to women, embracing the feminine genius in everyday life. You get to encounter 30 women who wrote letters to encourage you to find your own unique feminine genius in your daily life. And there are discussion questions to help you enter into meaningful conversation with the women in your life about the feminine genius and discover the women that the Lord's created you to be. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. And until Until next time, be not afraid.